few weeks back, I stopped at Walmart to pick up a couple more bags of candy for our Candyland Trunk or Treat. And one of the things I noticed, this was probably early October, mid-October at the latest. As I walked in, I, I took a look down at the lawn and garden center. And it was chock full of Christmas stuff. And here it was, first part of October, and it was absolutely chock full. I had to go back uh, last week, and of course it's now crept from the Lawn and Garden Center. It continues to creep out now, and, and all that candy that was for, for, for Halloween, all that now is Christmas candy. And so it has taken over, and, and I think all of us have seen that, that Christmas seems to push its way in a little further and further into the year and creep up earlier I guess next thing you know it'll be kind of March and what we'll, you know and we'll, we'll start to see the Christmas stuff appear and and I usually try to hold off um, push back the Christmas thing a little bit I mean it's fine to on Thanksgiving day the day after start putting up decorations but I want to wait at least till Thanksgiving before I start listening to Christmas music and now that I kind of have thrown that out the window now because I I, I joined the Christmas choir so, hey, listen, if you want to sing with me, come on. Tuesday nights as we rehearse. But, and then yesterday, yesterday, Nancy and I, um, even though, listen, even though I was offered a ticket to the Georgia-Tennessee game, my son's, our son's birthday was Friday. He turned 29, which makes me feel old. But we were going to go up on Saturday before I knew about this ticket, we were going to go up on Saturday and, you know, have lunch and spend some time with him and Lacey and, of course, with Baylor, which is the real reason for us going, but don't tell my son. And even though we were offered the ticket, or I was offered the ticket, I, I declined. Because, quite frankly, I hadn't had Baylor in my arms in a long, long time. And this was a great excuse to go get him in my arms. So yesterday, we're in commerce, and we're eat, we eat in commerce. And then uh, Lacey needed to go over to the little outlet mall over there. And, and so I've got Baylor, and I'm walking around with this big chunk of a boy. And I'm walking around with him, and, and what's playing in the background? Christmas music. And so I've got Baylor, and I'm singing to him. The first part of November, I'm singing those Christmas songs to him as I'm walking around trying to get him to fall asleep. And so I guess maybe I'm softening up on that. I'm in no rush for Christmas, but having grandkids may change that a little bit. I don't know. But what I want to do this morning for you, though, is I want to encourage you, believe it or not, to begin preparing for Christmas. Now, I'm not asking you to go up in the attic and get, at, get down the tree and the decorations and the lights and the stockings and begin to put those things up around your house. Some of you may have already gotten started on that. I don't know, but I'm, I'm not encouraging that kind of, of preparation. Instead, instead, what I want to encourage you to do is to prepare your hearts to receive the promise of God. Because quite frankly, that is what, when we, we go back and look at uh, the passage we're going to look at this morning, as we look at at so many other passages, they point forward. There is a promise that God has given to the Jewish people. It was a promise of a Messiah who would come. And to us who are believers in Jesus Christ, there's a promise, right, that he's going to return. 
and take us with him. And so we really are a people of the promise. And so what I want to encourage you to do this morning is to prepare your hearts to receive the promise of God. And with that thought in mind, let us go to him in prayer. Father God, you are a God of promises. And we are grateful that you're a God who has the power to fulfill every promise. We acknowledge that there have been times in our lives when we made a promise that we could not fulfill. But you're not that kind of God. You are ever faithful. And in that, Lord, we rejoice and celebrate. And so we ask as we prepare our hearts today to receive the Lord's Supper that we would also be prepared in a more full and meaningful way. Prepare for Christmas, for the coming of a promise, for your promise, God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the words that we're going to read here in just a moment, God is going to speak through the prophet Isaiah to a group of people who, who in, in not too long from now, are going to be facing unimaginable hardship, heartache, and destruction. And it would be due to their own sin and rebellion. They had been living in rebellion against God for a long, long time. And, and, and what's going to happen is God's going to allow the Babylonian army to come in And they will destroy Jerusalem, and they will destroy the temple in Jerusalem, and they will take the best and the brightest of the population and carry them off to Babylon in exile. And they will be in exile for 70 years before they can begin to return and rebuild their lives, rebuild their nation, and rebuild the temple. What you may not know is, though the words that we're going to read were spoken 100 years before the destruction, 100 years before the exile, God in his great love and because he is sovereign and nothing takes him by surprise, God was preparing a message 100 years in advance that would be right on time when the people needed to hear it it would come to them in their disgrace it would come to them in their pain it would come to them in their exile and it would be the perfect message at the perfect time and we want to look at that this morning and so we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40 again if you've been in Acts you're going whoa wait a minute that's not where we normally are no we're we're Today, we're going to be here for these first five verses of Isaiah chapter 40. Very familiar verses to you. I want to put them in context and help us to understand these as we come to the Lord's table today. Isaiah chapter 40. And it begins in verse 1 with these words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Comfort. Now listen, when I think about the word comfort, I'm thinking about like a mattress advertisement, right? Or a lazy boy recliner. Something that is comfortable, something that make us, makes us feel good. This word comfort, though, goes well beyond that. Uh, another word that 
is, is, could also be translated as, as consolation. Now, again, we think of consolation, oh, oh, that's the second prize. If you don't win the grand prize, you get the consolation prize. That's for the losers. No. Let's think about it this way. The kind of comfort that Isaiah is speaking to the people is the kind of comfort that a mom or a dad gives to a child who falls off their bicycle and scrapes up their knees and their hands. It's that kind of comfort in your distress, in your pain. I'm coming to you and I'm wrapping my arms around you and I'm cleaning you up. It is that kind of comfort. Or, Or maybe it's the comfort of a a parent who has a teenage daughter or son who has that first heartbreak with a relationship. Listen, for a teenager, that's the end of the world. And then you've got a parent who comes along and who lovingly brings that teenager along and and, and speaks into their life from their own personal experience and speak words of love and comfort. That's the kind of comfort we're talking about. God is, is giving a message to a people in distress, a people in disgrace, a people who are exiled and hopeless, and into this, a hundred years in advance, God gives this message that says, I go and speak comfort. And it says, comfort says your God now this is key because even though the people had gotten what they deserved for their rebellion for their their just sin after sin after sin after sin turning their backs on God God's saying I'm not turning my back on you the one who's speaking these words of comfort is your God And that's significant because God invites us into this love relationship. And even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. And he goes on to say, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended. I've never personally served in the military, although all of my family had. But I've seen the images. When the conflict is over, when the the peace has been established, the overwhelming joy that comes with peace. And God is, is, is speaking to them. Speak tenderly, he says. Don't go in pointing your fingers and say, you deserve this, you earned this, this is, this is all your fault. No, speak tenderly and tell them the conflict that put them here is done. It's over. He goes on and tell them that they're her iniquity Her sin is pardoned, set aside, dealt with. That she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. She's more than paid for her sinful behavior. 
And then these verses that are going to sound awfully familiar. Verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Now what's all this about? This, having spoke comfort to the people, God is telling them to, to be prepared because someone's coming. Now, in the sense, they would understand this. If there were a king or a high official who was coming into your community, coming into your town, then all the townspeople would be called upon to go and to fix the roads. Again, they didn't have the asphalt. They didn't have... Uh, concrete they had this all the roads were just 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 kind of laid out there were dirt and rock and stone and whatever they could do to make a road and when a king was coming the townspeople would go out and what they would do they would begin to fill in the low spots the potholes they would begin to remove the large rocks that would cause the the chariot the king was riding in to to jostle and and to, to, to be a rocky ride. Make it all level. Listen, probably doing a little better. I remember we were in, we were in Zambia. We were traveling on the African highway, which sounds like, you know, some, like the Audubon or something. But it really wasn't. It was a, about as bad a road as you could ever be in. It had potholes that would swallow an elephant. It was massive. People drove on the, on the side of the road more than they drove on the road. But we were out one day, we were going to a village, and we saw a road repair crew, which is something I'd never seen before there. We saw a road repair crew, and this was what was happening. They had had one of these massive potholes, and beside the road was a, a large pile of dirt and gravel. And as cars would go by, and they'd get an opening in the traffic, they'd get a scoop, and they'd throw it in the hole. And that was the road repair. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about an intensive effort to make a level road for the coming of the king. But it's not just any king who's coming. And it's not just any preparations that are being asked for. It's not just fill in the potholes and take out the rocks. Level the mountains. Fill in the valleys. This is rather extreme this is for no ordinary king this is for the king of kings and it requires an extraordinary intentionality to prepare for his coming in verse 5 and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken Here's what I want you to know this morning. Those words spoken so long ago to, to these Jews in exile were not just to the Jews in exile. These are words that God has given to us. There is a layered application, a layered intent. These come to us today because they speak of the coming of the glory of God the Messiah. So let me give you a real quick history because some of you will remember this and for some of you maybe brand new the glory of God 
the, the, the presence of the glory of God was a thing that was seen. It wasn't just felt, it was seen. For instance, when Moses goes out and he sees, he, he's getting his call from God and he's in front of a burning bush, that bur- bush is not burning with just regular fire that someone set because they were careless. No, that bur- bush is, is glowing with the glory of God. He said it was, it was burning, but it was not consumed. And there we see just a glimpse of the glory of God. But we see it again. We see it, we see it in the, the Exodus as God's leading his people. By day, there's a pillar of cloud. By night, a pillar of fire. It is the presence of God. The glory of God manifests itself in a physical way. Or when Moses goes up onto the mountain to meet with God and the mountain is surrounded by a cloud and there's lightning and there's rumbling and earthquakes and all this stuff, God's showing up in his glory. And then when Moses comes down, his face is glowing. It's not because he's found some radioactive rock. It's because he's been in the presence of God and there's a, it's literally rubbed off on him. He's glowing with the glory of God. Of God and we see when the tabernacle was built and God says I'm going to make my presence dwell there in that tabernacle that the glory of the Lord comes down on that tabernacle and it's just fire and smoke and the same thing happens when they built the temple God chose to allow his spirit to dwell there in a special place, his glory to dwell there in a special place and in the temple as well as the tabernacle not just anybody could go There was this heavy curtain that separated sinful man from the glory of a holy God. And only the high priest could enter, and he could only enter one time a year to offer that blood sacrifice, that sacrifice of atonement. And so the people were familiar with this concept of the glory of God, but it was always something that they were separated from. The heavy curtain. They didn't have this this physical experience with a burning bush or with a a mountain that looked like it was on fire or or with the, 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 the glory coming down and resting on the temple. They didn't have that experience. But what is said here is a promise that seems too good to be true. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. What does that mean? Uncovered. And all flesh shall see it together. And here's the promise. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What does that mean? It means if God makes a promise, God fulfills his promise. So these words are are spoken. Now, do we see any of this fulfilled? Absolutely. This is where we go back to the Christmas story. Do you remember the shepherds? They're out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And what happens? An angel shows up. And he's shining with the glory of God because he's been hanging around with God. He's shining with the glory of God. And night turns into day. And they get a glimpse of the glory of God in this angel. You say, well, that is awesome. Then you've got this heavenly host. Must have been something. But 
what did they rejoice about? Not about all this stuff. No, 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 no. Because those angels showed up to tell the shepherds that God's promise had been fulfilled. Their joy came from seeing the glory of God wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. That's where their joy was. The glory of the Lord has been revealed, uncovered. That is the coming of Jesus himself. Now, the question you'd be saying is, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like a very familiar passage when we're dealing with communion, right? Why, why are we talking about this? Why are we, why are we talking about this, this Christmas thing? And I think the answer is simple. It's because if you don't prepare your heart, if you don't prepare your heart, you may miss what God has for you. We all know the story of Mary and Joseph as they are trying to get into Bethlehem, trying to find a place to stay, and all the no vacancy signs are out. There's no room in the inn. The place is packed. And they finally have to go to a stable, give birth in a place where cows and, and sheep would feed because there was no room for them. you got to think, well, wait a minute. Don't you understand? God has sent his son. This is, this is Jesus. This is the Savior of the world. You guys have been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled all your lives. Your, your parents waited for it. Your grandparents waited for it. Your great-grandparents waited for it. They looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, and here he is. And they missed it. They were far too busy, far too preoccupied, far too focused on other things to see the glory of God, much like us. Here's the reality, and this is why I'm warning you almost two months in advance. Some of you will go through Christmas and miss Jesus. Some of you will go through this Thanksgiving and Christmas season and you will miss the glory of God and you will pack it all away and never be changed by it. Never be moved by it. Never have your world rocked by the glory of God. We begin at this communion table today by remembering what these elements are for. The bread, Jesus said, this is my body. The cup, Jesus says, this is my blood. Jesus came as a tiny, helpless baby, but he was Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. And he came for a purpose. Why? What was that purpose? He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to be our Savior. And this blood, this, this, this bread and this, this cup remind us of why he came, because 
we were lost in sin. We were exiled from God. We were helpless without a Savior. And when we come to this table, it is a time for us certainly to to focus on the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus, the shedding of his blood, his, his bodily crucifixion. But before the cross, there was a manger containing the glory of God. And beyond the cross, there was an empty tomb because death could not hold the glory of God. And so this morning as we come, let us prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper and prepare our hearts to receive the promise of God who is Jesus Christ, our Savior. That Christmas song says, let every heart prepare him room. Prepare you the way of the Lord. And listen, whatever it takes, prepare to meet God's promise. We have two grave distractions in our lives as Americans. Busyness and laziness. Maybe I'm the only one. When this, these verses tell us to level the mountains and to fill in the valleys, what it's telling us is to do whatever it takes. Remove from our lives whatever it takes in order for us to have an encounter with the living God. I challenge you who are believers in Jesus Christ to examine your lives as we prepare to take these elements and ask yourselves, am I ready to meet God? Am I ready to have an encounter with my Savior? I want to do more than just go through a routine. I want to meet God with this bread and this cup today. And for some of you, you may need to start at the beginning. You may need a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. You need to understand God loves you so much. He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if you've never taken that step of faith, I invite you this day to take that step of faith. We're going to have an opportunity at the end of our service. We're going to sing a final song. And that's an opportunity for you to come forward and say, today is the day I take a stand for Jesus Christ. Let every heart prepare him room.